Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. I am a physical therapist with a private practice in New York City. On today's episode, we are talking about how to stay fit and healthy over the age of 40, which is super important to me because I fall into that category. So my guest to talk about this today is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi. He is the founder and CEO of the Fit Father Project and the Fit Mother Project. He experienced a pivotal moment in his childhood when he watched his own father work relentlessly only to come to succumb to illness and pass away at the young age of 42. Dr. Balduzzi was just nine years old at the time. This life-changing event inspired him to dedicate his life to helping busy fathers and mothers aged 40 and above lose weight, build muscle, and improve their overall health for the well-being of their families. So today we talk about everything from prioritizing your sleep to exercise and a lot about nutrition. You guys, there's so much good info on nutrition here. I was taking lots of notes. Again, thanks to Dr. Balduzzi and everyone enjoyed today's episode. Hi, Dr. Balduzzi. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on and personally excited because today we're going to be talking about health over the age of 40. I am over the age of 40. Most of my friends are over the age of 40. So this is definitely a topic that is top of mind. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And actually, before we get into the key aspects of health that people over 40 need to prioritize, what is your interest in this age group, right? Because you could have gone into, you could have gone into pediatrics or, you know, uh, teens. So why people over 40? Well, it's actually like deeply personal for me. You know, growing up, I had a a relatively normal childhood. I was born in New York and split my time between New York and Canada. And I love getting outside my brother and playing and all that. But in the background of all those early childhood memories, my dad, I watched him basically work himself to the bone. He got very sick and he ended up dying from cancer at 42. Oh my so goodness. I was nine years old and I watched that happen. And as you can imagine, it was devastating. It was yeah. devastating for many reasons. Like one, losing losing your father and, and then seeing the destruction in the family had a big toll. But it also really like started to shift my young psychology in a huge way. Like I I, I learned a lot of lessons that most kids don't get to learn. I mean, most people don't learn these lessons until they're 50 and 60 and they have their own health diagnoses. Like I learned that health is so foundational to families. And I learned that we need to do certain things and make sure we have a lifestyle that's supportive of the conditions of health, especially as we get older. And as busy parents, it's so easy to have health be put on the back burner. So that inspired me in my young, when I was like, I was nine, my dad died. And a couple months later, my 10th birthday is I I started to train. I got a pair of my dad's old dumbbells. I started to exercise and study nutrition. And the silver lining was it turned into like a multi-decade passion to build my own health and fitness up. And then when I got into naturopathic medical school, I saw so many people just like my dad, they didn't always have cancer diagnoses, right? They had metabolic syndrome, you know, orthopedic conditions, but I was just watching the fact that people over 40 are struggling in today's day and age to balance the pressures of life and family with the foundational things we know help us stay healthy. So I wanted to help provide a solution for that. So I started Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project. And to date, we've had close to 100,000 people in over 100 countries go through our programs. 
So oh, it's really cool. And, and, that's and amazing. Dad. yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, it, it's a sad start, certainly. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that your dad and your family are so proud of you for what you've been able to accomplish. So that's amazing. Congratulations on that. Thanks. And okay, so let's get into it now. So, you know, you said that there are certainly you're seeing a lot of patients over 40 with a lot of different issues. So what do we over 40 people need to prioritize for health and longevity? Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it's trendy to talk about over 40, like it's some special magical bullet or magic bu bucket that is different than if you were, let's say 30 or 20. What I see is the margin for error just goes down as we get older. Like, you know, effectively we could get away with things in our twenties and thirties that just like no longer work in our forties. I'm talking about yeah. nutritionally, the metabolism changes. Oftentimes the joints and the orthopedic stuff starts to creep up, whether it's from old injuries or just like achiness of getting older. It's another decade of stress, disrupted circadian rhythm. It's another decade of eating the wrong kinds of foods, inflammation, uh, and, and our, and our bodies naturally go through this, this, uh, you know, like all things in nature, they have these cycles where they rise into a peak and then they go into this, this slowing down period where the immune system starts to get a little more senescent. Uh, and, and so there's, it's almost like you need to push a rock a little bit uphill over 40 to, to continue to stay healthy and vital. And, and what's happening if we look at modern culture and society right now is roughly 50% of people today in the United States are overweight or obese with comorbidities like heart disease, diabetes. Mm -hmm. And this is a symptom of our culture. We have high stress, crap food, not enough movement, you know, dis circadian disruptions, non-native EMF. Like there's just all these things bombarding us from many different angles. So what people over 40 need to learn how to prioritize or learn how to create is their own unique, sustainable health system. Like the routine that works for you, Karen, is going to be different than the one that works for me. You right. have a different family, different schedule, different medical history. So what we help people do at Fit Father and Fit Mother is like find that golden thread routine for them and create that so they can be consistent. And it's not magical, like a mostly whole foods diet, some high intensity exercise a few times per week, walking daily, getting mm -hmm. to sleep, drinking more water. Like none of this stuff is like rocket science, but putting it all together into a seamless plan that's actually sustainable, that's an art. And it's an art that is very possible. And it's something that I've spent, you know, mostly two decades at this point trying to master. And, and I've helped a lot of people succeed with it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more about the changes that our bodies go through from our 20s into our 40s. And I'll, I'll say this as a very quick story, but um, you, you had also mentioned like musculoskeletal issues as yeah. we get older. So when I was in my 20s, I was a softball pitcher. So I did a lot of windmill pitching for, mm -hmm. you know, years and years and years. And I was pitching a doubleheader in Central Park in an all men's league, only woman out there. And I, in the second game, I was tired, you know, and I had a little subluxation of my shoulder toward the labrum, which was probably already torn after 15 years yeah. of windmill pitching, needed surgery. So that was in my twenties, right? Mm -hmm. Like kind of an unusual injury given the amount of pitching I'd done. In my forties, I hurt my other shoulder rolling over in bed to try and turn off my lamp. I rolled over. I was like, Ooh, that wasn't good. Now <laughs> this time, did I go and go to the doctor and get MRIs and everything? Not really. No, because I knew like, I'm not having surgery. I'll rehabilitate this. I'll just get stronger. And, and it's taken about, you know, nine to 10 months, but it feels mm -hmm. much better now. Um, but that's, I always use that as a great example of like, this is your twenties and this is your 40s. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah, for sure. And that's, I think, where the movement aspect of, we know this movement pillar is so pivotal for longevity and well-being. That's, I think, the thing that needs to change the most 40 plus, mm-hmm. where a lot of your exercise baseline, well, one, I think a lot of people have this mental hurdle, and I know mostly health professionals are listening to this, and so maybe they they don't have this hurdle, but a lot of patients that we do have have the hurdle of thinking that exercise and workouts looks a very specific way that it looks like 30 minutes of high intensity exercise in a gym right. or, or it's no, or it's no go. Whereas the people who live the longest, the centenarians around the world, they're not doing P90X, they're walking, they're gardening, they're outside, they're accumulating daily movement. And so a big thing is, is helping to make the mental distinctions between daily movement and formal workouts over 40. I think formal workouts need to come a few times per week of higher intensity and the more you, the more fit you are, the more fun it is to exercise. So it's like a positive mm-hmm. feedback loop that you get. And the exercise you do choose should be strength training based f- around functional movements. Like we all kind of have that sense, but I think daily walking is massively overlooked. I think if we had the whole world start to walk for 30 minutes a day, we would have such a big shift because it's not just the fact that you're moving like cardiovascular activity, you know, you're getting sunshine and circadian rhythm balance from being in contact with the sun. You're breathing through your nose, creating greater parasympathetic tone, which is going to help your heart and your immune system. Mm -hmm. Like some of these subtle, simple things are the answer. It's just helping people incorporate them in a sustainable way, which is helping people understand the importance of them and then helping people slot them into their schedules. Right. Right. Movement is so important. I mean, I'm, I just said to a friend the other day, I'm like, thank God. I walk three to four miles a day. I live in New York city, right? I was like, if that were not the case, I feel like I would weigh 20 more pounds than I do right now. Right. So thank God for all of the walking I do. So, so movement, a huge pillar for people over 40, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Daily movement, like check the box with walking typically, but also work breaks. If you're sitting for long periods of time, get outside, take a walk you know, do some micro workouts. Uh, and also I'd say like the quality of your life to, to kind of stack on this, maybe your next question ends up over 40. And I'm speaking to a doctor of physical therapy ends up being the quality of your spine. Like how healthy your spine is, is a huge determinant of like how good your life is. And, and this could be because you have any kind of spine issues that cause pain and make it less motivating for you to work out, but you're also causing compression on all these just vital nerves to innervate your key organs and muscles. And so uh, the process of getting older, we know people shrink, right? It's dehydration. Our skin gets mm-hmm. dehydrated. Our discs get dehydrated. Right. We need to really prioritize lengthening, expanding that spine in the opposite direction of gravity. So I think getting traction into people's daily lives, whether that's through specific stretches, whether it's hanging, whether it's inversion is another kind of like important aspect of health 40 plus. Yeah. Yeah. Movement, stretching. What else is important? I have to think nutrition is maybe the number one. I remember Mm -hmm. a physician from Canada actually saying to me, you know, as you get older, it's more about how much you lift on the fork versus how much you lift in the gym. So I can't, I assume nutrition is really big. So can you talk a little bit more about that for you know, this specific age group. Yeah. Well, I'd say for health nutrition is the most important thing because the foods you eat are either going to be effectively medicine or poison in those kind of two categories. Now there's some neutral foods, but I'll say that way, the standard American diet that we're seeing today is full of a lot of like low quality processed fats, sugars, you know, preservatives, chemicals, Mm -hmm. pesticide laden things. We know just wreck you, right? Like, so that is like, you eat these things, you're causing inflammation, digestive issues, neurologic issues. So like Mm -hmm. that food is actually poisoning you on the other side, like the calorie balanced 
healthy foods that most of us can kind of agree on. And I know there's a lot of debate on what like healthy food looks like these days. And, and maybe that'll continue on into the future, but like food can be very healing. You know, you can have the right kinds of foods that gives you stable blood sugar, helps you maintain weight, feel good, sharp cognitively. And we can get into what I think those foods are if you want to get that specific on it. Um, but nutrition is effectively, like we say in our programs, you cannot out exercise a poor diet, like period. Right. So it's like way easier to cut back on 500 calories than spend an hour jogging and burn 500 calories. Like who's got time for that? And there's like damaging effects of that, right? So exercise, high intensity exercise is a metabolic investment for people over 40. Um, We like to sprinkle that in. And then the daily nutrition plus the walking and hydration and sleep is the foundational stuff. Right. So yeah, talk a little bit more about what foods you recommend um, that are, I'm not going to use the term superfood, but you Hmm. know what I mean. Sure. I feel like that's such an overused term, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are some foods that truly have compounds that are special enough to maybe Mm -hmm. meet that superfood category, but obviously food is, is marketing and commerce in today's day and age. So it's like, it's kind of, I'll I'll run you through a day, a day, a a day, because it's like, it's not just the food, it's the hydration. We wake up and this is like a day that we would say on our fit father and fit mother plans. Someone wakes up. The first thing we focus on um, is rehydration, rehydration, rehydration. Like our bodies need the fluids. 20 to 32 ounces of water within 15 to 30 minutes of waking up and bonus points. If you can add some good minerals in there, this could be a trace mineral liquid. If you want to get very fancy with it, this could be as simple as some pink Himalayan sea salt, which has the sodium chloride, but also trace minerals in it. Um, if you want to get super fancy and you're really into athletics, you can get humic and fulvic acids and things like this. Like we know our bodies are electric and they're driven by the minerals that our cells flux in and out of cells. Uh, and so we need the minerals first thing in the morning, the hydration. So our bodies need first thing, in the, we need the water. And that's before people get the coffee or whatever caffeinated mm-hmm. veg, if they have that in there. Now we have, we help our, our clients understand that you need to decide whether or not you're going to have breakfast early in the morning. And there's not a right answer here. You can choose to not have breakfast and intermittent fast. That's totally viable. And that works well for some people who don't feel like they need to eat in the morning and they can skip it back a few hours and maybe have that first meal around 10, 11, maybe even noon. That's fine. But if people do want to have breakfast, we like to keep it very simple. Breakfast is all about a turnkey meal that is easy to digest, that has blood sugar stabilizing nutrients like protein, healthy fats, and some fiber, and doesn't take a lot of time. Because if you have a family, you know, you can't be whipping up right. some crazy thing, right? So right. what typically works for most people is like some kind of power smoothie protein shake. And I can tell you some things I recommend in one of those um, or an egg-based recipe, or maybe some overnight oatmeal or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like we recommend people standardize their first meal of the day. Because when it comes to nutrition, we're not just talking about like nutrition in terms of calories, macros, and micros. We're talking about psychology and behavioral psychology. And this is the one meal that you want to be automatic because no matter what happened yesterday, you want to be re-looping in the next day into Mm -hmm. something that's good and nourishing. And then the other thing is certain for some foods are easier to digest than others. And in our brain and our digestive tracts have this kind of like tug of war. We all have had a huge meal and then you're exhausted after the fact. There's some foods you can eat for breakfast that make you exhausted, but light smoothies, egg-based recipes, fruits, overnight oatmeal, these things typically work really well for people. Great. Very easy. What do you um, have for breakfast? I know I'm not the one interviewing you, but I'm just oh, always what curious do I to have? talk about health professionals if yeah, you have breakfast. Um, it depends. Sometimes I'll have like plain oatmeal like okay. that I make myself with water and I put a little some um, berries on top okay. and some peanut butter. Okay. Um, or I'll have a smoothie with... Okay. Um, coconut water, almond nice. milk, um, protein powder, mm-hmm. 
and frozen strawberries or frozen um, blueberries, something like that. Awesome. Yeah. Because so it's easy. Oatmeal and shakes. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. I can do it really quick. It gets me out of the house quickly. For sure. And I'm good to go, you know, because nice. I have patients early in the morning. I can't like you said, it's not like I'm whipping up French toast in the morning, which right. is probably easy to make. But, you know, I, I can't do that. So I have something really quick and I find that it keeps me full till lunch. Yep. Like I don't have to worry about anything. That's till lunch. the goal. Full till lunch and yeah. getting lots of good micronutrients into your diet. So like no matter what happens later in the day, you got some good stuff. in. Yeah. So that's awesome. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So between between breakfast and lunch. Um, people we were like a huge advocate of not snacking. I think the, the nutrition advice in the nineties was like, have a lot of small meals scattered yeah, throughout yeah, the day. Yeah. That I was the whole thing that. to stoke the metabolic fire, but turns out that just like leads to blood sugar dysregulation, eating more calories mm -hmm. and actually stimulating the brain to secrete ghrelin, the hunger hormone in a, in a more frequent time, which is not great for people. So it's nice to have that four to five to six hours between the meals. Um, and so for lunch, we have another discrete feeding period. And we're helping like everyday moms and dads with our programs. So we need to give practical solutions. So for lunch, we typically say, Hey, have leftovers from your healthy dinner. If you had a bonus of that, that's easy to pack. I do you it know, all the time. Right. That's a yep. good thing to overcook on dinner. Cause then you have lunch the next day. Simple, a healthy sandwich recipe. I'm going on a small crusade for the fact that healthy breads can be included in people's diets. And now I'm not saying all people, there are certain people who absolutely wheat makes them feel bad all right. the time. Don't have it in there. But for many people having an organic sprouted bread can be okay. So something mm -hmm. like Ezekiel bread and a I sandwich on that, say that. Yep. rock solid, right. Can work for people. Ezekiel bread, turkey, avocado sandwich, like really easy for people yep. or the, or the classic like salad with protein. If you're out mm -hmm. and you don't pack lunch, you can get that pretty much everywhere. So yep. if you think like shaker eggs, oatmeal in the morning, you know, salad with protein sandwich or leftovers for lunch, you're like two thirds of the way there. We have snack and dinner to figure out, but like those are really dialed in. And with nutrition, it's more about consistency than it is about knowing some fancy thing about nutrition. If you can eat these foods on a regular basis, like you mm -hmm. win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's usually my lunch as well. And then dinner I'm assuming is like a healthy protein, vegetables, yeah. And I'll get, I'll get into the dinner thing, but I think before we get there, I, there's this, uh, I call it like crossing the chasm between uh -huh. noon and noon and 6 PM. It's okay. a long time. And people sometimes yeah. like get in trouble by not eating something in the middle. Not that you have to, um, but we're huge advocates of having people pre-plan some healthy snacks. So you have mm. them around sometime around mm -hmm. three. And so this is a time where you just eat natural foods. I'm talking about like a classic apple and nuts. So an organic apple with some nuts, there are certain kinds of bars or jerkies that are not full of crap that can slot in just fine there. Yeah. Uh, what kind of bars do you recommend? You know, the commercially available ones. And I, I personally don't eat too many bars, but yeah. like, you just want to look at a bar that has the fewest amount of ingredients. And then the right. second, and then the second criteria would be that the sugar content is like is reasonable low. is yeah. low. But I mean, like a lot of these bars have dates in them and other binders and stuff like this that mm -hmm. will naturally have some sugar in it. So yeah. the bar has like 10 grams of sugar or less. If the protein to sugar ratio is at least one to one. So 10 grams of protein for 10 grams of sugar, and it's under 300 calories, you're in decent shape. Got it. But if the sugar is like 15, 20 grams, and you're getting five grams of protein, it's like probably not the best. But again, I think it's like whole foods is like the main thing because yeah. it's not just the yeah. fact that it has 10 grams of sugar, your blood sugar is going to go crazy. If it's filled with macadamia nuts and a whole bunch of other things, you know, it's, it's going to like stabilize your blood sugar if it's got mm -hmm. the nice healthy fats. But cool. the cool thing about snacks is like, they are a through line. 
You get non-perishable snacks. It's the same stuff you take if you're traveling with your family on vacation, the jerkies, the nuts, the bars, you know, you can make a shake and a smoothie and take that for later, but like, you don't have to have that, but it's a nice thing to know that you have like the contingency plan and like you have healthy snacks in your life. And to kind of get back, if someone's intermittent fasting, they may not even need to have that snack. Like the, we just talked about like a breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner, we'll get to dinner. But otherwise, if people were just shifting that first meal back to, let's say to 1030 or 11, then you might be fine just having the dinner at five. So right. that's, that's right. viable as well right. for dinner. We kind of like, you know, you, you basically alluded to what I'm going to share. It's like, you're focusing on a protein, a veggie and a carbohydrate. The framework that we teach is called a perfect plate. So we tell our clients, if you imagine a blank plate of food and you fill half of that plate with a vegetable, you love a fibrous vegetable. This could be a salad. This could be steamed broccoli, asparagus, some, some kind of fibrous veggie, a quarter of that with some kind of protein you love and a quarter mm-hmm. with some kind of healthy carb. You're in good shape. Easy. And but that framework can literally, you can do like a hundred kind of different delicious meals with right. that. Wild salmon, rice, asparagus, ground beef, quinoa, and broccoli florets. You can make a stir fry. You could even go a completely vegetarian option and make some kind of chili with quinoa with a little bit of like some kind of like dairy-free cheese or something like this. Mm-hmm. Like the perfect plate concept works really well for people because they can kind of wrap their head around, oh, I can have variety, but I'm still eating like whole foods. And if you make a perfect plate, it's almost always 500 to 700 calories. Like you just can't make it more than that unless you are literally just like dumping sauces or right. butters or excessive amounts on it. It's just like, it's just how it is. So- soaking everything in butter. Yeah. Which in, in moderation, you know, I'm, I'm okay with butter and the short chain fatty acids, just like yeah. overboard, not, not ideal, I'd say. Right. And now, I mean, I love all of this. This is what I try and do every day. What about the affordability, right? Because mm-hmm. we have a lot of people, certainly in the United States and around the world, who can't afford a lot of fresh things, you yeah. know, um, or they're in food deserts where it's not even available. Yeah. So I'm sure you've encountered uh, those uh, that population and working with a hundred thousand people. The sure. odds are you certainly had have. So what advice do you have for people who may have a hard time just accessing healthy food? I mean, I live in in a in a big city where I've got Trader Joe's across the street yeah. and Fairway and a fresh farmers market all within walking distance. What about people who don't? Yeah. I mean, the food desert thing is tough, right? I mean, and I'm not going to say I have like mastery over how to pale people in like true, true food deserts. I mean, if you're very rural, let's say Mm -hmm. maybe you have like farmer's markets and and like local people you can rely on for food. Um, But I will say the affordability thing can totally be solved. So if, if you do have access to the basic kind of stores for those breakfasts that we described, you can absolutely buy bulk eggs, you know, for a crazy good price you know, double A grade A eggs from Costco, you can get them for like 30 cents an egg, you know? So like Uh you can get eggs at a reasonable thing. Oatmeal can be very affordable. Certain frozy berries can be very affordable. You can do that. Sprouted bread, $5 of loaf, chicken breast. You can get it at $3 a pound where you need to like just avoid is a lot of the the filler foods and the expensive crappy snack foods that just have mm-hmm. not a lot of calories and nutritive value per you know, per dollar you know so right. i think when you look at like look at nutrition per dollar spent the whole foods that we're describing actually are decently affordable not everything needs to be organic you can buy non-organic bananas you can buy non-organic right. avocados like these things don't actually have a lot of pesticide residue you can buy chicken and if you're going to buy your meats and you have meat in your diet 
than it should be from a bulk grocery store. You can get lower, uh, tougher quality cut meats like roasts and stuff like this and slow cook them. Mm. Uh, you can, you can do like peanut butter sandwiches. You know, you can, you, there's, there's right. many, many ways you can do beans and lentils and make stews and stuff like this. Like you can, it's just like the snack foods. A lot of the boxed foods are typically going to be the most expensive. Not everything has to be organic. I would say there are certain, I would look at the dirty dozen clean 15. There are certain things you definitely should buy organic. Apples should be bought organic. Berries should be bought organic, but not all your produce necessarily has to. And then buy the proteins in bulk. Um, the snacks that I described actually are, are very affordable. Like the, I wouldn't say the bars, probably not as much. Right. You're probably paying like three to $5 for a bar. But if you went for the almonds plus an apple kind of scenario, mm -hmm. you know, you can get a whole snack for like a dollar fifty, two bucks. Great. Great. Yeah. I think that's important. And I also like the fact that you highlighted like, Hey, you can get frozen fruit. Yes. That works for sure. And frozen veggies, right? Yeah. Broccoli floor, yeah. it's $2 at Walmart, you know, frozen totally. berries, wild berries, you know, you can do it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think people overlook that a lot. All right. Well, that was great. So I love the nutrition bit. Um, you'd mentioned sleep several times. I'm sure that's also very important in people of 40. And I get this question a lot. How much sleep do we need? Sure. And I'll get to sleep. And I want to talk broadly, more broadly about circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. I think this is an area of health that we're going to see an explosion of understanding. Like, and I think it's starting to happen a little bit more. The human mechanism is, is, is a light and trained being. We're now learning about our clock genes and it's more than just getting out in the sunshine is more than just like vitamin D. It's like, we are intimately like all of nature connected to the cycles of the sun, the different spectrums of what we'll call light or electromagnetic radiation that comes off the sun. And we need to be as entrained as possible to the natural cycles of light. And what this means for optimum, you know, functioning is you need to be getting morning sunshine in your eyes within, you know, a couple hours of waking up for a number of minutes. Ideally later in the day, you get some sun on your skin, you get the UV UV has gotten such a bad rap. And I know dermatologists are like super against the UV. It ages your skin. It can lead to some increase in cancers, but we are meant to have a certain amount of UV on our skin to create that sulfated vitamin D3. It also helps stimulate melanin both outside our bodies and inside our bodies. We have internal melanin and this helps our mitochondria function properly, transport electrons properly. Like we need to be on the light cycles. And then obviously at night, it's not just like how much sleep. It's like, where are your blue light sources? This artificial light from our screens and TVs. Right. Everyone knows about it, but like people need to take this seriously. Like light is as fundamental of an input for the human system as food is, as water is. Like it is the stuff of nature and our eyes, the extension of our brain are finely attuned to the different fluxes of this. So for example, if you want to age fast, we know like shift workers, for example, it's not just the fact that they get less sleep. It's that they're getting light patterns that are jacked up relative right. to what normal circadian biology is. They get more cancer, they get more heart disease, they age faster. They typically have more wrinkles. They have dysregulated cortisol. If you want to age well, you need to protect your circadian rhythm, which means proper light in the morning, protecting from blue light late at night. So getting the blue blockers, getting off the TV and the screens later at night, or at least protecting your, your body and your skin has photoreceptors too. That's what melanin is. Melanin is a photoreceptor and we can absorb blue light through our skin and it does disrupt us. And melatonin is more than just a sleep hormone. It actually, it, it has so many beneficial effects to brain and cognitive health. Uh, for women, it can actually help lead to health of hormonal regulation and weight loss. Like we disrupt melatonin, we are causing a huge, huge problem and blue light disrupts that. So I, everyone's a little different in terms of sleep needs. And as you get older, people need often a little less sleep, mm -hmm. you know, six to seven and a half hours 
you know, everyone kind of, and I think quality is important too. Like you can certainly be in bed for seven and a half hours and have worse sleep than someone who has a right. really good sleep hygiene, dark room and gets six. Um, but I think it's good to aim for that seven and a half hours if you can, but I mean, a dark cold room is ideal, um, and optimizing your sleep environment. The light scenario is, is really, really a key story that we're going to learn more about this whole, like we have clock genes that are controlled by the light. And if people are not in tune with this, they're going to have health problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, like you said, people know this, they know not to look at screens before they go to bed. They know not to, um, be on their phones or their iPads or we know it yet. It's so hard to give it up. So when you're working with your clients, how do you get them? Cause this is, it's behavioral change. It is right. So how do you help that behavior change happen? Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, you just need to have the tools or the screen filters or the stuff you need to like make the commitment to one, understand that this is actually a big deal. That it's not just like a kind of a big deal that it actually mm-hmm. is a big deal. So there's a motivational component and two, buy yourself three pairs of blue blockers, these big blue blocking glasses, put them in three different rooms mm-hmm. and then get on your phone or whatever device you typically use and set up night shift mode or make sure that it gets that sepia tone. You can also oh, yeah. have your phone. I did, I have a little shortcut on my phone where I have an Apple iPhone, you can go to accessibility under settings and you can actually have a, you can put grayscale on your phone and you can do it to a shortcut. So I do three clicks on my right, one of my right home buttons on my iPhone. It Mm -hmm. turns my phone to grayscale. There's no blue light coming off this. I can do it at night. So you can still be on the phone. There's no blue light. So these are little hacks, but point being is you need to have some kind of light filtration mechanism. And mm-hmm. again, it's more than just your eyes too. I would, I would like also shield your, if you're like, have your blue blocking glasses, but you're like watching TV with your shirt off, getting blasted by blue light in uh-huh. your skin. That's still not ideal. Yeah. Oh, great tips. I love that tip about the iPhone. I actually don't, I don't actually look at my iPhone too much at night. Um, I don't even have it in the room with me. It's Good. in a completely other room. And I, I never have my phone in my bedroom. I always that's have ideal. it in another room. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. So what have we missed? We've covered movement, exercise, nutrition, sleep. I got some circadian rhythms. What else? (laughs) All right. Well, as as we get older after 40, like we need to optimize our, the balance of our anabolic and catabolic processes, as well as our mitochondrial health. So first off, we know that a lot of the diseases that people have today in today's day and age are somewhat anabolic diseases. Like we have people who have blood sugar dysregulation, diabetes, prediabetes, they're constantly stimulating insulin. They're constantly building up tissue, typically in the form of fat tissue. Insulin-like growth factor is high as a consequence of high insulin. This leads to, uh, in time, uh, a predisposition for cancer development. We need to, as we get older, optimize catabolism. And this is done best through fasting and exercise. So we talked a lot about exercise, but I want to get into fasting. I think everyone over 40 should have some kind of fasting practice. This could be a daily intermittent fasting, but this could be as simple as doing a 24 hour fast once a week, dinner to dinner. This could be once a couple times a year, you do a longer fast multi-day, uh, like two, three days. You maybe do one of these fasting mimicking diets like Prolon, where you go on a five day low calorie fast. We need to activate these catabolic processes because our bodies and our cells are like, just like our homes, you know, we're doing a lot of activity and there's buildup of metabolic junk. Only when we stop processing and building up stuff, do we have time to take out the garbage? This is what autophagy is. And when we have all these buildup of senescent cells, as we get older, we need to activate the mechanisms to clean them out. 
Fasting is what does that. Being in a non-calorie stimulated state where mTOR is not being stimulated, insulin is not being stimulated. And the best thing is all it requires is you not to eat for a period of time. So I'm a big fan of a dinner to dinner, 24 hour fast. We teach that to our program members around month two of the program. Um, I personally also do three day water fasts multiple times per year. I'm not saying everyone should do this and it needs to go to this extreme, but I am saying that having some kind of autophagy catabolic process, that's like healthy and breaking down all this damaged stuff is like massively beneficial for aging. And Obviously, you know, people who have health conditions and things like that, you want to kind of check with your doctor or something For like sure. that before you any or give him like if you're on certain medications. So are there yep. any other contraindications, any groups yeah. who like should not be doing that? For sure. People with past history of eating disorders, people who have or taking insulin or have certain diabetic medications, people have medications that need to be taken with food. This is definitely something you can work with your doctor. That being said, we have had, like I said, tens of thousands of people successfully do fasting who fall into many of these different buckets. It's pretty natural. Our bodies are built to fast. We have the metabolic machinery um, and mm -hmm. it can be worked into. It's not like you need to start by going, I'm going to fast and do like a 72 hour fast. Like you can start by like working on maybe a dinner to dinner fast. And everyone's mm -hmm. probably done that once in a while, just from having a busy day. Right. Right. So, so it's possible to work into this, but anything you can do to kick into this catabolic machinery is going to be helpful. Um, exercise does this too. It works on very similar pathways as fasting does. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then the other aspect I, I said that we, we kind of didn't directly get into is the healthier mitochondria, like your mitochondria have their own DNA, you know, and it comes from our, our maternal side, which is pretty interesting. Um, and these are effectively the end sites of metabolism. We talk about all these calories, proteins, fats, all of the stuff ultimately ends up in the mitochondria. It's broken down into electron exchange where basically we're, we're pumping hydrogen ions across uh, a mitochondrial border to produce ATP. Like this is so, mm -hmm. so important. And we know as we age, people get mitochondrial dysfunction. And this is from eating the wrong kinds of foods. This is from non-native EMF. This is from just generally being a lack of activity and exercise and a lack of using these pathways. The body's very much like you use it or you lose it. Like our mm -hmm. musculature system, you need to stimulate it. And that helpful stress gives an adaptation response. Same thing with the mitochondria. And we see this huge prevalence in today's day and age of people having cognitive issues, dementia, Alzheimer's, these kinds of things. This is mitochondrial dysfunction showing up in the brain. And this is also why we know that exercise and stuff like this helps the brain so much because it gets the mitochondrial biogenesis happening. Fasting helps with this too. Certain nutrients helps with this too. So we need to optimize the mitochondria and the mitochondria are optimized obviously with high intensity exercise, a good healthy diet and circadian rhythm. So if your patients don't even need to know the deeper science of what's happening, mm -hmm. but we do need to really stimulate and keep these energy pathways functioning well. That is what, when you see someone who's 90 years old and who's vital, who's like water skiing and like healthy, they have good mitochondria. And when mm -hmm. you see someone who is 60 and their health is like absolutely trashed, they're tired all the time and they just like can't function. They have no energy. Like they have mitochondrial dysfunction. So it's not like it necessarily goes with age. It can be offset by your lifestyle practices. Um, and if you don't take care of your mitochondria, eventually you're going to be running into some issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So this was so much information and there's so many like great tips and nuggets that I think the listeners can, can take and put to use today. You know, whenever you're listening to this, right. Get some, some, uh, blue light blocking glasses, change, yeah. change, uh, just change breakfast, right. You don't have yeah. to do everything all at once because we know that never works. It just overwhelms right. people. And then they're like, forget it. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. So take it step by step. Um, but now where can people find, um, 
your programs, the Fit Fit Father, Fit Mother programs? Yeah. So fitfatherproject.com or fitmotherproject.com are our websites where you can see our programs, our supplements, and our, everything that we do there. I also highly recommend that people check out our YouTube channels because this is like a place where I have a lot of deep dive videos. I think we have like over 500 videos on YouTube, lots of good stuff. Um, and particularly the kind of workouts, I know we didn't get specifically in the type of workouts I recommend, but like those are on the YouTube channel. It's called metabolic Perfect. resistance training, combination of strength, cardio, and flexibility all in one. So YouTube fit father project, fit mother project, as well as just the direct URLs. And also there's a fit father project and fit mother project podcast where I interview great experts as well. Perfect. And just so everyone listening, we'll have all the links in the show notes on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. All right. So before we wrap things up, I have one last question. It's a question I ask everyone. Knowing where you are now in your life and career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Let's say, you know, your 20-year-old self, you went to the University of Pennsylvania, right? Mm -hmm. yep. So you're at Penn. Where? What advice would you give to that kid? Probably to relax and not try as hard, honestly. Like I, I think like I was driven in my twenties by a sense of like deep urgency that mm. like what I needed to I really needed to make it or whatever make it means at the time of competitive bodybuilding, Ivy League school, whatever that was. But I was really operating from a low level place of like lack and not trust. Whereas now I'm still highly productive, but it's coming from a place of like trust and flow. And I think part of that too, is just having like had that decade of life experience or so, you know, where I just like, I understand all this stuff on a much deeper level. Um, yeah. So I think trust, trust and flow with it a lot more. It's all going to work out in due time. Yeah. I love that. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. Lots of great info here. I really appreciate you for coming on. So thank you so much. Thanks, Karen. And everyone, thanks so much. Check out all of Dr. Bell Doozy's um, YouTube. And like I said, we'll have links to everything. Check it all out. If you want to go into a deeper dive into what we did today, um, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.